Hey, sisterhood. Today on the Girl Defined Show, we are talking about some heavy, big topics, but some much needed ones that I personally still have a lot of questions about. I'm excited to learn today as we dive into transgenderism, uh, personal pronouns, things that have become so common and so mainstream, things that we're all encountering in our schools, in our work, questions at home, in our churches. And for so many of us, we don't know how to talk about it. We don't know how to navigate it. We don't know how to engage in these topics and with these people in a loving way, in a biblical way, um, and just in a way that shows compassion and grace, but without compromising on truth. How do we do that? I brought an expert guest on today. Andrew T. Walker is here with me to help us guide, to help guide us through all of this right now here on the Girl Defined Show. Andrew, welcome. It is so good to have you. Kristen, thanks for the invitation. I'm really honored to be here. Yeah. So you wrote a book. Not, not a light and fluffy book, but a pretty hard-hitting, very, very helpful book called God and the Transgender Debate, What Does the Bible Actually Say About Gender Identity? I have to say right off the bat, you are very brave for writing this book. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, um, I'm someone who I want to be charitable and kind, and um, but I also, like you just mentioned in your introduction, I care about truth. And especially when you have something of such importance to what it means to be human, um, if I can call Christians to understand that the truthful position on this is also the most loving position, um, mm. I think we're in a win-win scenario, even if it's not received um, popularly mm. in the culture. Yeah. And we're going to get into all of that. But I have to say right off the bat, I was out with my boys. I have two boys, 13 and nine, and we were out doing something the other day. And this person walked by and they were actually doing something really kind. They were picking up trash randomly in the parking lot. And one of my boys was like, oh, look at that woman. She's so kind. She's picking up trash. And then as we were kind of pulling away, I'm like, yeah, that's so nice. My other son said, no, I don't think that's a woman. I think it's a man. And so at that point, I kind of looked over to see, you know, who this person was and what was going on. And I couldn't tell. And I'm pretty sure it was a transgender person, but of course it brought up conversation, questions. We've talked about this stuff with my boys where we're seeking to engage in these conversations, but just in general, it seems like we are seeing just a lot more of transgenderism in culture, in real life, every day, in movies and music, personal pronouns are everywhere. So is it just me or does it feel like it's really prominent right now in society? Good question. Um, so statistically, it's still um, a, a pretty insignificant population from a numerical perspective, um, depending on the news source or the research outlet that says it. Um, you're looking at a population ranging from 700,000 to 1.4 million people who would identify as mm -hmm. transgender in some capacity, which can mean various degrees of a transgender identity. Um, but no, I, I would echo you. Um, it, it is definitely more prevalent in the culture. I live in Louisville, Kentucky, which is really not a hotbed of cultural progressivism mm -hmm. like a San Francisco or in Austin, Texas, perhaps. Um, but um, even when I go to the mall, uh, there are gender nonconforming individuals working at mm -hmm. a Brooks Brothers. And I've seen individuals walking down the main walkways at the mall. And they're obviously males wearing um feminine clothing. And so mm -hmm. it's, it, it is everywhere. Um, at the same time, I, I, we, we would be wrong to assume that it's everywhere at the same time because it is yep. still statistically a marginal reality. 
wrestling with sexual sin is something that so many of us as Christian women, single and married, struggle with. And so often we feel like we're the only one. I know because I had my struggles with sexual sin, battling masturbation for years, longing to find freedom, but lacking the tools to help me do that, which is exactly why we've created instantly downloadable PDF resources that you can get in your hands right now at girldefined.com shop, specifically helping you in the areas of sexual sin and sexual struggles. The newest one is called Finding Freedom from Masturbation, Gospel Strategies for Walking in Victory, a really helpful PDF that you can download today and begin walking that journey toward freedom. Another PDF is called Five Strategies to Find Freedom from Sexual Sin. We have another digital resource called Battling Sexual Temptation, a biblical toolkit for Christian girls. And y'all, these are just the ones on sexual struggles. We have PDF downloads on so many different topics for all stages and seasons of life, and you can find all of this at girldefined.com slash shop. Just click the digital resources tab. That's girldefined.com slash shop. That's so interesting how something can feel like it's everywhere because you're seeing it in so many places, but then it's not really. Yeah, no, I mean, that's totally right. Um, there is the impression from kind of the cultural elites that this is very common. Um, in fact, mm-hmm. there was a study done a few years ago uh, that polled Americans and Americans thought that um, there were more LGBT individuals in the United States than there were Catholics. Um, and that wow. is profoundly miscalculated. There are far more Catholics in the United States than LGBT individuals. But that's kind of what the media system can do. It can create perceptions, it can create narratives that certain things are just as American as apple pie, as LGBT, mm-hmm. as Catholicism. In reality, uh, there is there are real asymmetrical realities going on. Uh, and mm-hmm. again, even when you look at the LGBT population nationally, I think the most progressive estimates would say that three to four percent of the population identifies as LGBT. But the cultural oxygen that the movement occupies uh, has far more cultural cachet mm-hmm. and, and uh, cultural influence. Hmm. Wow, that's so interesting. It's good to keep in mind. You mentioned the words gender nonconforming, LGBTQ, transgenderism. I know a lot of people feel the same way I do in that it's hard to keep up with the terminology and what it all means. So can you just give us a quick breakdown? I know we can't go into everything because there's a lot, but just like even the words gender nonconforming, a transgender person, what's the difference? Is there a difference? Help us understand some of this. Yeah, no. So, I mean, at the risk, I I could go on for 30 minutes just on this question alone. Yeah. Um, But let me just say this. The language, I would argue, is almost probably 80% of the debate. And mm-hmm. what terms we use and what terms we accept, we should always be very cautious in asking questions about what what concepts are being attached to this language that I might be using innocently, but how I'm using the language actually comes tied with much more moral significance attached to it. Now, when we're thinking about these terms in particular, gender nonconforming is really a broad catch-all category for someone whose gender expression or gender presentation doesn't conform to accepted norms um, around what you would associate with a male or a female out in public. So hypothetically, if a male is wearing blue, I'm sorry, if a male is wearing pink, uh, you might (laughs) consider you're non-conforming, but that raises the question about what does, um, what is gender, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Gender is really just the cultural association tied to sex and gender norms from one culture to the next can actually vary 
But what every culture mm-hmm. is trying to do uh, in its own unique way is to figure out culturally specific ways to say this is masculine and this is feminine. Um, mm. But when we go to the LGBT taxonomy itself, I mean, this is where the LGBTQIA plus 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 is never ending. And I think that speaks to the inherent instability of the worldview is you have mm-hmm. a cascading number of identities that are never ceasing, never ending, um, in- incredibly subjectively defined, meaning they're defined down to the individual themselves um, mm. that may not be in any way provable or any way to authenticate those realities. All they are mm-hmm. are just a matter of perceptions and identities. Um, and if I could just say this real quick too, the the language of LGBT, we should stop here and recognize that there is incredible tension within the LGBT movement, mm-hmm. um, separating the LGB from the T. And in fact, if you're paying attention to this nationally, the LGB movement is at times wanting to distance itself from the T of LGBT because there are inherent philosophical inconsistencies built into these categories. So if you're a lesbian, that assumes that you are a woman. You're objectively, concretely a a known woman who loves Mm -hmm. and wants to be intimate with other women. Okay. But that assumes a stable concept of womanhood, right? The transgender movement comes along and says, no, womanhood is really just a matter of internal psychology, internal perception internal desire. Okay. But that Hmm. raises the question, how can you have womanhood objectively if it's just a measure of emotions or a measure, a a measure of cultural stereotypes? And so this is why you have feminism. Uh, One of the Mm -hmm. greatest opponents of the trans movement are feminists with what's often called trans exclusionary radical feminists, because the feminists understand you can't have feminism and the transgender movement at the same time. Hmm. Because the transgender movement ex- explodes the philosophical concept of womanhood uh, entirely. And so this is where, you know, yeah. as Christians, we want to be very clear thinking. And I think, honestly, where the Christian worldview is more comprehensive and more explanatory. And I would say, finally, it's actually more coherent at the end of the day. Um, one of the things I'm most emphatic about in my teaching ministry is for Christians to understand that we have more coherent and better explanations on these issues um, than, than kind of secularists do on this issue. And to the extent that um, I would be willing to go on and debate someone about these issues without mentioning Bible verses. The beauty mm-hmm. of the, the Christian worldview is that we have both special revelation, which is the word of mm. God, the, the inscripturated word of God, alongside a doctrine of general revelation meaning that that scripture says that creation order speaks with coherence and with purpose and with design. And so the, the beauty in all of this is that the Christian gets to say, well, no, the Bible gives us a fuller, more robust and coherent worldview than what hmm. our second friends uh, would, would want to propose. Yeah, that I believe that and I know that's true, but I've talked to a lot of Christians and I know some listeners are probably wondering, well, if the if the biblical worldview is so beautiful and so true and so good and so right, then yeah. why does it feel like like people in the LGBTQ community, transgender people, all of that array, why does it feel to them like it's not loving and like it's not uh, beautiful? 
Oh, so lots of reasons. I mean, for one, I mean, this is where we need to have a, a doctrine of sin, for one. So w- we can recognize that the creation mm-hmm. itself is fallen. Um, Romans chapter 8 talks about how the creation itself is groaning, meaning that um, that sin, in a way, has nested itself in both our bodies, our minds, and in the broader creation order itself, that fallenness manifests um, in creation order. But then also we can go to scriptures that talk about how man loves the darkness rather than the light. So that, you know, there is an active mm. rebelling against a creation order that, that God has established. And then, you know, if you go to the book of Romans, Paul talks about how um, humanity can detect certain true things about God and about creation by looking at creation itself. But then there's this important mm. verse that's often overlooked where the apostle Paul says, but man suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. Hmm. And you think about suppressing the truth, that means you actually have the truth um, in you. You might not know it perfectly and you, or, or it, it can be fallen and it can be perceived incorrectly, but all human beings have some level of, of, of knowledge of truth in them. But what do they do? They suppress the truth. They hold it down. Um, I liken this to a beach ball. You can put it, you can hold a beach ball under the water for so long until the beach ball is naturally going to find a way to resurface. And in the trans community, um, in particular, uh, we see the resurfacing of nature present itself all the time. When Leah Thomas, the division one swimmer is standing on um, the podium with broad shoulders, looking like a man. And this individual has, you know, blown the competition away facing other biological females um, you know, secular photography puts this image up of the girls off on the side because they don't want to be on the same podium as the biological male. And it doesn't take mm. someone to be a born again Christian to understand, Hey, something seems a bit off right here. Uh, this, this mm-hmm. doesn't seem quite right. And so listen, I, I want to say, uh, I completely understand why a transgender individual would hear what a Christian says about these issues and disagree with them. Um, That's what the nature of Mm -hmm. fallenness and sin does in this age. It blinds, it deceives, uh, it redirects. And so this is a call for us um, to, to not, you know, respond to that with indignation and anger, but to understand Mm -hmm. that we shouldn't be, uh, we we shouldn't be shocked or surprised when people disagree with Christians. What Christianity allows us to do at the same time is a couple things is to affirm the inherent worth and dignity of every human being, regardless of whether um, we agree with them or not, um, which is, which is incredible. Uh, And then secondly, Mm -hmm. to, to respect them, not only as individuals who bear God's image, but they are owed a degree of kindness and respect from Christians, even if they disagree with Show me a worldview where we are on principle commanded to extend charity and kindness in the face of disagreement. Uh, and we can affirm someone that God loves you, you matter, and yet I still disagree with you. And I will fight mm. to defend your dignity as a human being because the command in mm. scripture is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And there's no asterisk that says, love your neighbor as yourself insofar as your neighbor agrees with you. That's the beauty of the Christian yes. narrative. 
is again, and 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 I want to affirm, um, you can you can be loving, you can be kind, and you still may yeah. be met with wrath and indignation from the LGBT left. I understand that, but that doesn't change mm-hmm. what a Christian is called to do, which is to stand for truth and to do it in a loving and mm-hmm. compassionate way. I think a lot of us struggle with that. I know I have at times just engaging in these conversations, one, how to think about this, interacting with a person in the LGBTQ community and doing it in a way that is truthful and loving and gracious. And the story that comes to my mind right now is Rosaria Butterfield. I'm sure you've, you know of her, probably talked to her. We had her on the podcast once and her book's amazing. Um, but just the way that she, as a lesbian woman, was introduced to the gospel through a pastor inviting her over to his house for dinner with his wife, engaging in conversation, not compromising on truth, but showing her love, showing her grace, showing her compassion, pointing her to the word. And through that relationship over time, she saw the beauty of God's design, the beauty of the gospel. And it was a journey for her, but it's just so encouraging for me as a Christian to see, wow, so much of the impact we're going to have is through the way that we interact through relationships, through that grace, that love of Christ, while we stand on truth, because we know it's for the good of that person. Like you said, we're not just trying to be combative for truth's sake. We're trying to love a person because we at the core of our hearts believe that God's design for them is genuinely and truly for their best and for their good and is what will help them thrive. So can you just help us think about this more practically? How can we just everyday women going about our business, some have little kids, some are single in school at work. How can we be a little bolder I think in engaging in these relationships, how can we approach them? How can we have conversations that um, that just step into this hard area? Yeah, I, I think one way to answer that is to just kind of um, tell a story from a, an interaction that I had that kind of demonstrates what I think this can look like effectively, even if it doesn't result in the conclusion that you hope for. Um, a few years back, mm-hmm. I had... Um, uh, a person who identifies as transgender and we had become kind of acquaintances through some online interactions. And, um, I was going to be in their city and I reached out to this individual because, um, at, at first the, the exchanges on social media had been of a more wrathful. I mean, this, I wasn't wrathful, but the person had been kind of wrathful to me, but we eventually had been able to converse and exchange. And there was some commonalities and common interests because we're human beings and human beings have similar things in common, mm-hmm. even if we disagree. And so I reached out to this person. I said, could we get coffee in a Starbucks? And so lo and behold, I was uh, in a large American city having coffee with someone who identifies as transgender and they had read my book. Um, and this individual I should, I should add oh, is wow. a, a transgender activist works for an activist organization and had read my book. We got together And the individual said something to me that really was profound. They said, you know, I disagree with everything your book stands for, the convictions that you that you land on. But I do know this about your book. You're not trying to harm my community. You actually do want Hmm. for me. We have a disagreement on what the best outcome is or the best position is. But I at least can understand that you're not trying to will my harm. You don't want to see anything done to me that would um, physically harm me, humiliate me, mock me. And I was like, Hey, wow. You know, we, had, I, there is a massive chasm in disagreement as far as the world views hmm. are concerned, 
But if you can understand that I am motivated out of goodwill and that I am not seeking to harm you mm-hmm. in any capacity, that's actually a really good place to begin conversations. Um, and a lot mm-hmm. of that reduces down to whether the person you're having a conversation with is a disagreeable person. Sadly, in the age in which we hmm. live, people are very reflexive and have knee-jerk responses and get angry and they escalate things. Um, but yeah. I think what I would communicate to all of your listeners, um, no doubt if you stand for biblical truth, you're going to catch some opposition in the culture. But th- how you communicate is important. And though you may communicate with love and you still may receive wrath as a response, I would say don't give Mm. your opponents or those who disagree with you justification to dismiss you Mm. because of your attitude and because of your disposition. So it's this delicate line to walk of saying, goodness, Mm. I know I, I, I may not actually get to the position that I want to get to, but I'm still commanded to seek someone's good. Um, hmm. and, and that's what the Lord calls us to. And, um, that is, that is the beauty of the Christian worldview. Wow. And the way that you reached out to that person is so inspiring. I think a lot of times we wonder, well, how, you know, I want to engage more. I want to have conversations with people who think differently. I want to befriend someone. I want a Rosaria Butterfield story, you know, but right. I'm scared. Like, I don't know what to do. So you reached out. I mean, that that's a scary thing for a lot of people to initiate. So what encouragement would you have for us in that? As a Christian woman, have you ever wondered, what does it actually mean to embrace biblical womanhood? It's this huge term, and oftentimes we have no idea what it looks like to live out and embrace God's design, which is why I have great news for you. We've created an incredible PDF downloadable resource called Embracing Biblical Womanhood, a Christian woman's guide to understanding and living out God's timeless design. You can download this PDF today and start digging in to the incredible teaching that will help you practically understand how to live out and embrace God's design for your life as a woman today. You can download this right now at girldefine.com slash shop. Just click the digital resources tab. That's girldefine.com slash shop. You know, I would say this, uh, not every Christian needs to be an activist on these issues. Um, I think Christians Hmm. need to be informed and equipped I think that they need to press into those issues that the culture is trying to chip away at biblical truth. Um, But at the same time, I don't think that means that faithfulness has to entail running towards the battle, sword drawn, letting the thing show. It means just simply being faithful as the moments come Mm -hmm. to you. And faithfulness is going to look unique in every single situation. Um, You know, what does it look like to be faithful in your local school setting? What does it mean to be faithful in a uh, public town hall debate setting? And here's the beauty. And I'm not saying this just to kind of like cheer team Christian here, but like, you know, the perception is <laughs> that we are a bunch of like haters and bigots and we are, we're angry. That has yeah. just not been my um, experience at all. And, and I fully acknowledge in a religion and, and in, a, in an America as large as, as, uh, as, as America and Christianity is, there are probably going to be some jerks along the way. 
Um, but that has not mm-hmm. been my experience. The emails that I get from individuals who are trying to figure this issue out in their own context, literally to a T, they have come to me with the position of, I am trying to love the person in my midst. Uh, I am trying to do my very best to show the love of mm. Christ. How do I do this? And I think that that, that itself is a measure of faith, um, that you're trying to reach yeah. out to ask the question, okay, my Christian faith compels me to truth. How do I demonstrate truth in a faithful way? Um, and so mm-hmm. I would just say, mm-hmm. again, you don't have to be out there making this your issue um, on social media all the time. But I do think it means uh, you are called to do some study. Uh, you are called to be prepared. You, as First Peter 3 mm-hmm. talks about, give an answer for the hope that resides within you. And mm-hmm. we're in this moment in the culture where, um, you know, this issue has gone from zero to 100 miles per hour in about 3.2 seconds. It's caught a lot of Christians yeah. off guard. Uh, and again, not everyone has to be a scholar or an intellectual on these issues. But there are so many resources out there, not just my book, but Sharon James's book, Sam Alberry's volumes. Uh, Crossway has a mm-hmm. new resource, I think, that just came out very recently called Why Does God Care About Gender Identity? Um, the resources mm-hmm. are out there. Uh, what Christians need to do is familiarize themselves. I mean, this is not this is not an issue mm-hmm. where you can be passive and neglectful and expect your children to be properly discipled. Um, I always want to tell yeah. Christians, you will have to disciple your kids in truth, or the world will disciple your kid for you with greater effectiveness and with far, hmm. more, far more fervency. Uh. That's so good. So really just grabbing one of these really solid resources sounds like a great place to start to not to be a scholar. I think a lot of us feel intimidated. Like I can't even engage in this unless I know every single part of this conversation, of this debate. If I know every truth in scripture, where every reference is like, basically I need to go to seminary to be able to talk about this. I know a lot of people feel that way, but you're saying just start somewhere, grow in your understanding, grab one of these incredibly helpful resources that will help you just get your footing in how to even begin to think about this biblically and engage in these conversations. Yeah, no, totally. So in, in all of my classes and in all of my talks, I walk through what we call the Genesis blueprint. And the Genesis blueprint basically says hmm. God created humanity in his image. God created humanity, male and female. God created humanity, mm-hmm. uh, or God created male and female for one another. And there's three sequential, you know, leaps in that Genesis blueprint. God creates humanity. So therefore there's our doctrine of the image of God. There's our doctrine of human dignity. God creates humanity, male and female. So when God creates, he creates Mm -hmm. humanity in two forms. We're we're equal in our nature as males and females before the Lord, but we're not equal necessarily in our design because there are differences in our design. Mm -hmm. And our design is absolutely essential to how we define what a male or a female is. Um, If you go trying to define what a male or a female is apart from the body, apart from chromosomes, apart from primary sex characteristics and secondary sex characteristics, you are Mm. creating inherently unstable definitions of male and female. So that was the Mm. second jump. Third jump is God creates male and female for one another. And that's where our doctrine of complementarity comes from our doctrine of permanency with regard to marriage, our doctrine of exclusivity, the idea that when you get married, you're to get married to someone who is opposite sexed 
It's assumed that that marriage is going to be Mm -hmm. for the duration of your life and that you are intimate with only that one spouse that God has given you. And really, I mean, if, if someone memorizes God created humanity in his image, God creates humanity, male and female, God creates male and female for one another. Something as simple as that. That is the entire wow. architectural blueprint for the, the Bible's entire sexual ethic. Jesus reaffirms it in Matthew 19, four through six. Um, and hmm. not only is that blueprint set forth in scripture, but it's also logically coherent. Meaning that if you go down the pathway of transgenderism, or you go down the pathway of polygamy, or you go down the pathway of homosexuality and same-sex marriage. Not only are those issues wrong biblically, but I would actually argue Mm. that they are irrational because they put into principle inconsistent principles that can't be worked to their conclusion um, Hmm. without eternity resulting. So this is, I mean, let me just encourage your listeners. Like, this is the beauty yeah. of the Christian worldview. The Bible gives us a definitive, clear word in its inscripturated form, but the the type of creation that God has ordered is an orderly designed creation. God is not mm. a schizophrenic God. God is a God of order and design and pattern and creation. Yeah. Uh, and so the Christian can stand, step back in all of this and say, um, if the transgender activist wants to disagree with the Bible, That's their prerogative to disagree with the Bible. What I want to respond back to them is, but you can't disagree with creation. Creation is what it is. It's Hmm. unavoidable. You will either agree with the order of creation that scripture describes, or you will be actively working against the grain of the universe and against the grain of creation. And it just doesn't work. Um, You know, a stream is going in one direction and it's incumbent upon us if you're, if you're uh, riding a boat on that stream, it's incumbent upon us to want to ride with that current because it's going to be easy, right? If you try to ride against that current or swim against that current, you might be able to do that for a few minutes or a few seconds, but eventually that current is going to sweep you up and you're going to play by the rules of that current, whether you want to or not. And that's what is true hmm. of of the moment that we're living in, in the sexual revolution. One, one last thing, and then I'll, I'll yeah. be quiet and let you ask another question. Uh, you know, <laughs> no, it's so good. Please give us all you can. A couple weeks ago, um, the Atlantic Monthly, which is a secular kind of quasi-progressive publication, uh, had this headline that said, you know, the missing, the missing puzzle piece in solving inequality in America is the fact that we have abandoned the two parent household and you're kind of thinking, Hmm. okay, well we haven't abandoned that as Christians. That's, that's the norm. Males and females become husbands and wives and mothers and fathers, and they all live under one, one roof together. Um, It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's it's secularism that has jettisoned um, these truths. And, Mm. you know, what we know from the social science is when you jettison uh, the two parent household, Poverty increases. Uh, it's not good for women. It's not good for children. And so then you have progressives who are kind of like reverse engineering themselves to affirm what the Bible teaches. And when they do, they're kind of like, oh, look at this. Hmm. We figured out how to fix society. It's it's to champion the two-parent household. And you're kind of like, well, actually, um, we've been saying that all along. Uh, and so I think this is just a way that yeah. you know, the Bible, the creation, 
is going to um, ratify or validate what the Bible says positively or negatively. Uh, We will, we will Mm -hmm. learn the Bible. We we will learn that the Bible is true by the positive fruit that results from our obedience Mm. or by learning the consequences that result from disobedience. And we, we should hope that it can learn the positive fruits, not the negative fruits. This is so good. Oh, I have so many more questions that I'm not going to be able to answer. I mean, get to with you because of our time frame. but I have to throw a curveball in here at the end because I know some people are thinking this because we get this question through email and on our social media all the time. You know, we're affirming this creation order and then you've gotten this question too. You know, what about intersex people? What about them? So can you just help give us a biblical framework on how to think about this question? Yeah, no, I mean, so it's a great question. Um, what I would say first and foremost is this is actually when this issue is brought up, it's brought up as like an apples to apples comparison um, mm-hmm. that the intersex condition is like the transgender condition um, or that the intersex condition disproves the gender binary. Um, I would actually argue that these are apples and oranges um, because for one thing, mm-hmm. uh, first off, intersex conditions can mean many, many things. Um, and when you talk about intersex conditions, 99% of people who are intersex have no confusion about who they are. There is some type of uh, physical abnormality. There can be an, endoc- uh, an endocrine abnormality. But the vast, vast majority of the time, an intersex individual is still unambiguously male or female at their genetic level what has happened is there is something that has gone wrong at the level of their endocrine system or at the level of their, um, their genitalia, quite frankly. Uh, and so all of this does is to establish that there are medical conditions that result um, that are deviations from, from a normal standard. This doesn't disprove the gender binary. In fact, it reaffirms the gender binary mm. by recognizing that something has deviated problematically from it. Um, you know, what I would like to say in this example hmm. is if, if someone, if a child is born missing a left arm and there are children born missing limbs, that doesn't mean that that disproves the fact that most human beings are born with two arms. It doesn't mean that there's a new species of person that are one armed hmm. human beings. It means that there is something that has gone wrong in that individual um, that is worthy of our compassion and our mercy, but it's, it's a reaffirmation of, of the original creation intent uh, of, of a normal standard binary. The last thing I'll say um, on this is the fact that um, one of the big distinguishing factors in the intersex condition from the transgender condition is that intersex conditions are medically verifiable, meaning the body actually bears the, the, the marks of being intersex, whereas transgender individuals, um, that's a psychological category. It's discrete. It's internal. It's subjective. There's no way to validate or authenticate it. Intersex conditions hmm. are, you can validate them and authenticate them by looking at endocrine systems and looking at, um, you know, the, the problems that result from ambiguous genitalia. Um, and, and, and the last thing I'll say is this, that, that captures some of the difficulty and conceptual incoherence of the language of gender identity is we our, our culture uses that concept 
And we really shouldn't because gender identity as a philosophical concept is inherently unstable. Um, I'm a, I'm a biological male. Um, if I were to tell you that I'm biologically male, but my gender identity is female, there's no way to measure femininity according to psychology. All that I've just done is to say that my, my experiences, my psychological experiences are what I perceive to be as feminine in nature. Mm-hmm. But then that should force us back to the question. Yeah, but what is feminine about our psychology mm-hmm. and our emotions? Um, femininity is not reducible to our brains. Femininity is a reality begun at the level of our chromosomes that then spawns out or cascades out into physiological and biological realities. Wow. You're really smart. <laughs> Everyone needs to go read your book. Okay. This is so good, guys. Please go grab a copy of Andrew's book, God and the Transgender Debate. What does the Bible actually say about gender identity? This was just the tip of the iceberg. There is so much more for us to learn and uncover. And we're thankful for people like you who are bold, who are gracious, who are bringing the gospel into these conversation and conversations and equipping other believers to do the same. So thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah. Thank you, Kristen. I really enjoyed this. Okay, y'all. That was so helpful and so equipping. I really pray that you walked away feeling just as encouraged as I was. He had so much wisdom to share, and I really do hope you'll grab a copy of his book. Another book that I want to tell you about, if you don't already know or haven't read it, is our book over here at Girl Define, which isn't specifically about these particular issues, but we do take a deep dive into the topics of gender, our sexuality, understanding who we are as women, and it's our book, Sex, Purity, and the Longings of a Girl's Heart. You might think it's just about sex, about purity, about these longings, but it's so much more than that. Like I said, as we dig into our design, our sexual design, gender, what it means to be a woman and walk in God's design for those things. Also, great foundational book. If you haven't read Girl Defined, our original book, Um, that one will give you a deep dive on womanhood, femininity, God's radical design for our lives and how it's still relevant and modern today. So a few more resources to add to the list. You can get our books on Amazon, girldefined.com, anywhere where books are sold, audio, free at the library. I mean, just get your hands on them. Like, Like Andrew encouraged us in the episode, just start growing, taking steps um, toward growth, toward understanding these complicated issues from a biblical perspective, building your biblical framework. Um, If you guys appreciate this episode, if you appreciate the Girl Defined show, please show your thanks, I guess, by leaving us a five-star review wherever you listen. It encourages us. We see your reviews. We see your comments. It really encourages us, and it helps other women find the podcast, you guys. Y'all are the best. I can't wait to hang out with you again next Monday for another episode of The Girl Defined Show.